2: Hello and welcome to episode 191 and firstly as ever thank you to our Patreon supporters without whom we would not be able to produce this podcast and although this content is absolutely free for everyone if you like what you hear and you'd like to give us a bit of support then go over to our Ministry of Arts Instagram profile you'll find a link tree drop down box which will direct you to our Patreon page and for as little as three pounds a month the price of a cup of coffee, you can help us grow. That aside, today I'm going to take you to meet a good old buddy of mine and friend of the podcast, Miss Kate Knight. Kate's artistic life started as a dancer, a ballet dancer as well, no less. <laughs> and that's not where I met her. I don't think point shoes and tights are my thing. I'm more of a <laughs> I'm more of a long Johns and work boots kind of guy. But where I did meet her was the art car boot fair and we've been good buddies ever since Kate was also in one of my face value exhibitions at Jealous Gallery where she'd done an absolutely stunning collaboration with Dan Baldwin and if I'd have been able it would have definitely been one that was in my collection and going from me curating an exhibition to Kate curating an exhibition Kate has put her own group show together called On Gossip and the Glamour which opens at the Touchbase Gallery in Folkestone on the 30th of September so if you're in Folkestone drop by and take a look Come to that, even if you're not in Folkestone, travel there and see the show. So rather than me tell you all about her, come and meet the lady herself, as I spoke over Zoom to Miss Kate Knight. Now we've got
1: you on today. <laughs> yeah, so I wish I could been. be in my studio, so you could have had a look at my studio, but um, I've got no signal in that space. You haven't? Like there's, no, there's, there's a big, I mean, it's kind of good though, because it means that, I, in order to like look at my Wi-Fi, my phone, I have to hang out the window to try and get a reception. So
2: it's, it's
1: good that I kind of just yeah. It's, it makes me get on with my work more rather yeah.
2: than keep. How far is it from your home?
1: It's about twenty minute walk. Nice. But I take my bike down now, so my bike's called Leddy. Is it
2: still <laughs> the same bike you had before that you've done? Yeah, the,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you done.
2: What was a, it? The Art Car Boot Fair when they when yeah, they done it in yeah. The bikes. Yeah. So you you have a little cycle to work there.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, I do. It's nice. So, how's your studio now? Is it? Is it all right? I they was doing a lot of building outside, weren't they?
1: Yeah, it's all, all scaffolding's down, and then there's that bloody big building opposite us now. So, it's taken a little bit of our light, which is fine because it's it's down south, isn't it, Gary? So, it's like really bright yeah. anyway. But like I say, I lost my signal. But you know, there's my no studio is. No, all the noises stop. It's just the usual fights on Tontine Street because it's quite rough down there. So, it's just <laughs> like effing and jeffing and like. I won't say the other words, but you hear it all. I love it, though. Because it's just, it's like, it, it, when you hear that sort of thing, it just grounds you again in your space, I think, a bit, yeah. you know? And um, it's called the B&B Project Space. Well, actually, my mate Matt has got that downstairs, but it was an old bed and breakfast. Yeah. So my studio is like um, a bedroom. Nice. I've got like a rose ceiling, but it's, it's kind of falling apart, but we all love it because Brilliant. it's actually a real sort of, run down studio space rather than these other spaces that they've built, which are like office spaces and yeah. they're a bit clean and you don't want to get messy clinical, and that sort yeah. of, yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's and definitely it's, you've got a good
2: little buzz down in Folkestone, haven't you? good little arty buzz down there. I
1: tell you what, Gary, you know, I did my MA at City and Gills for a year. So I was commuting. Yeah. Um, when I came back just after the year, obviously I was home at the weekends. So I was home every day actually, but you know, I was having a Saturday stroll, a Sunday stroll. But I wasn't seeing many people and then I get back to my studio after the MA and it was just there's galleries opened up you know mm. there's all there's quite a lot of young people which is just like that's amazing so you know you've got kids wanting to stay either you know either like leaving school secondary school here yeah. they're actually wanting to stay now rather than go away I mean I run for the hills to of London course, yeah. as soon as I could yeah. But, and um, and also, yeah, you've got people, you know, kids moving here because it's cheaper studio rent. Yeah. There's a real, yeah, real buzz happening. It's great. Better quality well, work.
2: You've got that little hook, haven't you, from sort of like um, Margate all the way round to Hastings. But that yeah. little corner of the country, people are moving away from London to go yeah. down there. And Folkestone, as you know, as much as it's a beautiful little town, I presume it's not quite as expensive as Margate is, is beginning to be.
1: No, it's actually, I think, the reverse. Folkestone's probably more expensive than Margate. Oh, OK. Margate. okay. I, I think it's logistics. I think Folkestone is smaller. It's a smaller project to make good, you yeah, know? Yeah. Whereas Margate's a lot bigger. So, you know, it's taken them a little bit longer as regards um, getting things renovated. And, yeah. of course, we had um, Roger Dehan, the multi-billionaire who owns Saga, who invested loads of money in this town and just, you know, is making it much nicer, much more desirable.
2: What, he's doing uh, that at the moment?
1: He's, he's, he's been doing that since 2002, I think. Is that you got that. a
2: commission for Saga?
1: Yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, fire yeah. really? yeah. him? I think so. They wouldn't tell me. I mean, they. I said... So this 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 isn't meant to sound like ego driven, but I, I I didn't really want to do a commission for a cruise ship. I was yeah. like, what? No, man, I don't want to do that. And um, on the fourth time of asking me, they, they said to me, look, Kate, obviously, because I said I kept saying, who's it for? And they didn't want to tell me in the end. They said, oh, look, they'll say they want you to know who it is. It's Saga. And I went, oh, I'll do it. Cause I'm a bit of a home bird, you know, and of I just, I thought, well, you know, it's my hometown. Okay, so I'll, do, I'll do that for Saga for sure. Oh God, I've never seen such an amazing boat. <laughs> I just thought, what an idiot. Okay, it's absolutely stunning. It's like this boutique bijou luxury liner. And yeah, we went wow. to the party and uh, they, they christened the boat. They had the ama- amazing, like Welsh miners singing Brilliant. as well. And then Camilla Parker Bowles turned up lover or a hater and um, yeah and we saw jules holland live with ruby turner who's got the most amazing voice she's
2: cool isn't it she? was
1: just yeah and the drink was flowing it was just it was am- it was amazing nice. it was exceptional day yeah it was really nice to see those works as well in situ so, that so was you're well glad cool. they
2: was persistent
1: yeah, definitely. I got a bit of RSI though in the shoulder because um, pa- when it started, I was meant to get a year to complete the artworks, but with all the two in a throw, and it ended up four months. Wow. So that was a lot of work for, you know, there's a short space of time and to do a lot of work. So, but I'm not complaining. It was brilliant. So, yeah. how
2: come he's investing in Folkestone?
1: It's his hometown. Oh, is so it? Oh, okay. That's yeah, yeah. So, his dad is, um, was Sidney De Hahn. And they started off with just a little hotel in Folkestone. I think it was called, what was it called? The hotel. I can't remember what the hotel was called. Um, but yeah, so him and another partner called Fred Frost opened up this little hotel and they started to send coaches up north and then bring in clientele down to Folkestone. Nice. And then when Sydney died, Roger took over the company and then it he just took it to another level and it went yeah. catastrophic. So... Yeah. So that's that's why he wanted to sort of, you know, give Folkestone a bit more hope because when obviously Thatcher came into power and, you know, she got the Eurotunnel go ahead and she was saying to everyone in Folkestone and, you know, surrounding, you're going to get so much business. It's going to be booming, blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah. And of course it didn't. Overnight, you know, Folkestone went from being a popular tourist destination because we used to do the ferry crossings yeah. to no one. Ghost
2: town. That's know. unlike the Tories to be liars, isn't it? Oh,
1: I know, isn't it? <laughs> Who'd have thought it? <laughs> God. <laughs> I was going to say a really rude quote then, but I'm not going to.
2: <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful little town, isn't it? I mean, it I've is. only been up there a couple of times. The last time yep. was uh, the Art Car Boot Fair, which was, I don't yeah. know, five, six years ago, possibly even it, more. It's
1: about that, wasn't it? I think it was about that, yeah. That, yeah, was, no, that was...
2: And it's got a good-looking... the town's nice it's got like an if I can remember correctly it's got like an old town and a new town hasn't it
1: yeah the new town's not so great the old town that's where so the old town is where Roger's invested his money so you've got the old high street you've got Tontine Street where my studio is and then he's now bought the harbour arm which has got loads of little businesses on now you can you know eat drink be merry
2: it's got quite a an odd looking hotel just on the on the (laughs) dockside there hasn't it and there's a story behind that hotel I can't remember what it is but someone told me something about that hotel
1: there's a few stories about that hotel I used to work there Gary oh did
2: you think maybe it was you I was
1: I was a barmaid there I mean it was my my first job that I could get as a barmaid my first job was um working at Free Cook's Bakery and then my second job as soon as I turned 18 I was like I'm getting bar work I can't work in a free cook's bakery
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: eating all the bloody pies <laughs> so yeah my first job I, must, I was a barmaid there my brother was I've got three brothers but uh, my brother Leon was a security guard and my brother Lou was a chef there so it's really in-house and um, what happened with that hotel was the previous hotel that stood there was this stunning old I think Edwardian hotel which yeah. was really beautiful but I think it was about to need a lot of money to renovate so there happened to be like a oops fire
2: Yeah,
1: yeah you get <laughs> those, you? the hotel bursting got built and it's meant to look like a ship but it's it's like everybody hates that place <laughs> apart from people who find it quite um a kind of attraction because they do like cabaret nights there so you oh, get Londoners know, is, is coming down going yeah it is and so you get Londoners coming Londoners coming down going we've got to go to hotel bursting for cabaret no I mean they used to do like country and western weekends and all this sort of stuff it's is it one of, of those there.
2: where it's so bad it's good
1: for people not working there yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I know what you mean.
1: But don't get me wrong. We, we we all had a really good time. It was a really good camaraderie between us all. I love I love bar work. I loved it. I don't know if I'd want to do it now, but I did love bar work. It's great. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the bursting.
2: Good. Well, there you go. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. We've
2: ascertained you from Folkestone. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. several questions I've got for each artist. The first being, sure
1: thing, how would do you
2: explain <laughs> what you do to people that wouldn't know your work?
1: Um, well, recently from the MA, it was quite eye-opening. And I i don't want to do a tagline, but I think I'm going to have to because otherwise I'll waffle. And I think I take materiality and I use materiality in order to animate the inanimate and give voice to material. Mm. But in that process of giving voice to a materiality, really what I'm doing is giving voice to myself. So the, the material is like a conduit for me to speak through. But when I sit with materials a lot and I I try and and I know obviously I don't sit there actually talking to the material but there's a visual communication that goes on between myself and the material and I, I just sit and I look at the material. So yeah I try and find its voice and I see what relation I have to that materiality.
2: You mentioned about your MA just now. So you yeah. started an MA, was it just prior to lockdown? Yeah. You started it at the worst point anyone I could ever start a, I did. a course. But your your work has, it, it seems to have sort of divided from yeah. before because you was using um, colour and material a lot and your work was quite illustrative. And now yeah. you've sort of, this is only my perception from what I've seen. Go for it. It feels like you've divided your work one into the more aesthetic and material side and the other illustrative side. Would that be yeah. correct?
1: Gary, that's absolutely correct. But before good. I went into the more commercial side of my work, um, you know, I I hadn't taken up art when I was at school. You know, I did yeah. I did the art that we were meant to do. We had, I think we had one class a week. I was a ballet dancer. And this is going to be a long-winded story, but I'll try and make it snappy. No, I, I,
2: I'm <laughs> all good for long-winded stories. <laughs>
1: So, you know, I studied. Especially if they involve belly
2: dancers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I said ballet, not belly. Oh, Ben. Oh, oh, <laughs> so, yeah, when I was three, I, I started um, ballet classes. My mum put me into ballet classes, yeah. and it was great, and I enjoyed it, and it's good discipline and fitness and stuff like that. And you got to wear pink, but I didn't like that colour when I was that age. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, I then had a bad time at secondary school. I'd say I'd started to have a bad time at primary school actually like when I was, we were about to leave and then I had a bad time at secondary school. And I found that dance was that place that I could go where I was actually really good at something.
3: Yeah.
1: And I was, I had my own agency. I was confident. As soon as I would get into the dance studio and put point shoes on, I became really powerful. It felt like a superpower. Yeah. And all of the day of school, was forgotten.
2: Do you think because it was that, like a persona, if you like?
1: I think the real me was able to come out and yeah, I, nice. I didn't have to, and I didn't have to like hide it. Pretend. And yeah. I didn't yeah and I didn't have to you know confront or fight or you know battle with anything. I just myself actually Brilliant. dancing. So when I went to this is gonna end up at the question. When I went to I then went to London Studio Centre and suddenly you know I got on with people like and I thought Oh, it wasn't me then. <laughs> and my love for ballet just went. I just, it, it wasn't just went, it just, it didn't go overnight. But, you know, I just thought this isn't for me anymore. I Because yeah. I've got no fight. There's nothing to fight against. And I needed that. And really, I think when you're going to choose some sort of vocation like that, it shouldn't be, or for me, it wasn't enough to just like it. I needed the fight if I was going to do ballet. So it wasn't enough. Anyway... Uh, at the time my boyfriend at the time took me to my first ever gallery and we went to the National Gallery Trafalgar Square
3: yeah
1: it's Trafalgar Square isn't it
3: yeah
1: yeah (laughs) and we walked into the first room and there was this massive painting and I remember it being really baroque really caroscuro but I, I can't remember who it was it could have been Caravaggio but I'm not sure but I was blown away I mean every fiber of my being I got goosebumps I felt emotion I thought I was going to cry you know I was so overwhelmed and in awe of what could be achieved in paint I thought and that moment I just went I'm giving up dance because this dance doesn't do this for me anymore and I thought I'm giving it up and I went back to my mum and dad (laughs) I said yeah I'm giving up dance. And they're like, you're bloody not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the amount of time and effort we've
1: put into this. Exactly. So they said to me, look, all right. They thought about it because they thought they can't force me to obviously carry on dancing. They said, you've got to do one job, like one job outside of what you've been doing. And then my brother rung me at the hotel bursting.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and he went, muchos, you, you've got to get down to the hotel bursting because they're auditioning girls for cruise ship liners and holiday places and I went no I'm not coming he went no get your point shoes get your stuff you're coming down anyway I turned up for the audition I knew I was going to get it Gary I was just like oh god no (laughs) so I did this job at Canberra Sands Leisure Park for a year and my mum and dad were driving me there and it's beautiful Canberra Sands. absolutely stunning yeah I love it and there's this this lodge where we were told to go and it's right near the beach, oh, beautiful. And um, I, I don't know if I'm going to be politically incorrect, but um, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I remember speaking to the guy about this and he prefers this terminology. So we turn up at the lodge and standing outside was a guy who was about seven foot, I think he was seven foot six or something. Wow. Next to him was a man dressed up as a clown. <laughs> and then there was Brian, who was a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> <They're> going <"Welcome." laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" And I was only a kid. I was I was seventeen at this point, and I just I'd never been in a situation where it was just sort of quite obscure and kind of different walks of life. But yeah, it was a yeah. great, it was a brilliant bloody year. It was actually really good, and uh, had a lot of fun. But I still wanted to do art. That was it. I, I just and then I went to South Kent College, which was a local uh, little art school and um, just to so happen to have these exceptional teachers who actually taught you how to draw and paint. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting there, Gary, sorry, you can- No, you're all quite this. all
2: right. You're quite all right, that's what it's all about.
1: Yeah, so um, I, ha- I spent four years there because I had to do a GCSE in art yeah. and a foundation at the same time. And then I did the HNC, and then I, they they asked me to stay another year because they needed a certain amount of students because yeah. I said, I'm going to apply for Chelsea. And my, one of my tutors said, you'll never get in. I went, I'm definitely going to get in now. <laughs> <laughs> and so they made me stay one more year because otherwise the course wasn't going to run. So I stayed the extra year because I didn't want, obviously, them all losing their bloody jobs. Yeah. And I thought, what's another year to be around these amazing teachers? And then I yeah, got into Chelsea and um, I was making fine art contemporary work, painting. So I'm getting to it now. And so that work was more akin to what I'm making again now. Yeah. But as the sort of the time went on, I I got, I had a kind of ultimatum for myself. I always wanted to apply for the Royal Academy and I didn't in the final year at Chelsea because my dad died. So Mm. I came home to Folkestone and then I just buried myself away for a couple of years in a little studio with the Creative Foundation. And I just got on with my work and I hid, there was no social media then. So I kept all my work a secret. And then yeah. I did this show. And in that year I had, I applied, I'd been selected for artist of the day by my professor Mo Throp at Flowers Gallery. Nice. And I was a runner up at the Marmite Prize for painting in 2010. So that all happened in 2010. I'd applied for the Royal Academy in 2009 and I got shortlisted in interview for the last 40 people. And then I got the letter to say, we can't, we can't offer you a place at the moment, Kate, but you're on our shortlist. Nice. I was, I was I, do you know what? I just, that was enough for me. I was just like, that's wicked. I'm real really happy with that because I'd achieved something. I wanted to know I could get an interview. I didn't necessarily need to get on the course.
3: <laughs>
1: and, and, um, It was that decision of obviously not getting on there that I decided to open up an art supply shop in Folkestone and it's something my mum and I went into together. And I was gifted a drawing board from one of my buyers who used to buy my oil paintings that uh, was an architect's drawing board. And I thought, well, whilst I'm sitting in the shop, I might as well do a few watercolours. And I started to paint these birds and then over a period of time, people kept coming in wanting to buy my artworks that were just more suited for that sort of space. Yeah, And I eventually started selling so much work from that little drawing board that I decided to get rid of the art supplies and I turned it into my gallery. Nice. And I had, yeah, so from 2000- So you
2: jogged your mum on out of your uh, joint <laughs> business.
1: Off you go! No, she not Well, laughing. but so yeah, I I just started to make more commercially viable work, and of course, then I had to keep a shop open, pay the bills, and all those things. So, that's what happened. That and that side of things took over. Yeah. And I've, I've for for quite a few years now, I've always had this battle because, you know, it it was trying to divide those two things, and it was all sort of slipping into one stream. And I just yeah, thought, oh, yeah. I felt a little bit like I was getting trapped. And because I've got a business, I got some government funding and that's when I thought I'm doing the MA. I'm gonna use this money to go and do my MA and get back in touch with what my soul needs.
2: Yeah, good.
1: Yeah, so, God, that was convoluted and long. No, that's what it's
2: needed. That was absolutely <laughs> yeah, Yeah, I, well,
1: yeah because you, yeah, it's just knowing where I'm coming from, isn't it, a bit yeah. more,
2: so, yeah. I got asked to do these, um, like a masterclass, and it's for my mate, Alison Lappo. Yeah. So um, she asked me to do it, first of all, the podcast, and then these workshops after. So I agreed. She went, oh, there's only three of you doing it at the moment. And I went, who's that? She went, it's you, Mark Quinn, and Rankin. And I was like, oh. how the fuck did I get in this little triangle?
1: <laughs> Gary, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty get
2: cool, I know. Cool. Oh, I don't know amazing. why I'm speaking to the likes of are you, you.
1: Are you. Are you a bit <laughs> Well, you're here for the belly dancing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love shit out of that. <laughs> creativity, Kate. Was there creativity in the home growing up?
1: Was there creativity in my home? Mm. L- loads. Uh, only so my, my mum. My mum has a naturally creative way about her. Like she used yeah. to do creative writing, but she's a miner's daughter, so it was never really offered up to her. Yeah. But the thing is, if you've got it. There's no holding that back. It will find its way in something, whether it's, yeah. you know, how you, you, you decorate your house or, you know, just how you, you are, how you dress, all those things. And my dad actually was a singer. And um, so, yeah, we were really That's singing cool. household, which has actually come into my work recently as well, that I nice. realised I need my stuff to sing. And I don't mean physically, I mean visually. Good. There's, there's something that happens to materials when it sings. Yeah. You know it does, there's a yeah. glow in, isn't there? It's a magic.
3: Definitely, definitely. Yeah,
1: my dad, yeah, so there, there was creativity. And then I remember uh, my mum used to sit me down at the kitchen table and she'd give me the inside of a loo roll and I'd sit there painting that. <laughs> nice. And she said, I'd sit for hours doing that. I'd be well in my element. So yeah, it was there, there was, yeah, I was lucky
2: yeah so many of people I've spoken to on here have that that you know it was in them as a child and then yeah. others just get introduced to it or vice yeah. versa you know? I,
1: it's in every child isn't it it's yeah. in every it's in everything you know creativity look at magpies you know they're creative like it's it's about developing skills isn't it it's about and communication. You use
2: magpies a little bit in your work occasionally, don't you?
1: I do. I do. It's about to become one of the more conceptual pieces. That like, you know, one of my paintings. I'm about to, I'm, I'm, I'm work for. I'm curating a group show in September with six other amazing female artists nice. called On Gossip and the Glamour. Nice. And it's those. It's it's using the 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 origins of those terms, um, gossip. Uh, before patriarchy of the church turned it into something negative yeah. was actually women together sharing their stories mm. and sharing their crafts. And of course, you know, the church doesn't want women empowered. So, you know, they didn't want them coming together. They didn't certainly didn't want them coming together to discuss maybe what's going on with townsmen. Yeah. So, yeah, they, made, they, they turned that gossip being a kind of negative thing on its head. So we're reclaiming that. And glamour is actually an old Scottish word and it's about casting spells.
3: Okay.
1: So if you look up Glamourin, there is a description of a man having a beautiful woman and he's dating her. (laughs) Obviously he wasn't dating, he was courting back then. (laughs) And um, he would approach the local um, witch and ask her to perform a glamouring spell on his beloved and make her look ugly to every other man. Oh, wow. And vice ver- and vice versa, people would come to her with maybe some fool's gold or something yeah. really ugly, and she would make it beautiful, and then they would sell it on. So, a lot of the um women that I have chosen to to you know curate and show with, we all deal with some sort of illusion within our work, mm. and we we all very much deal with craft and craft as tradition and craftsmanship being very important to our process yeah. and to the aesthetic, yeah.
2: And when's that? I'm really
1: excited. That's in September in Folkestone.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello, fresh! Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Nice. So some of them, one of the girls, uh,
1: Cyan Costello, amazing artist. She's coming from Ireland. To, to to the show oh and, um, nice yeah I know it's lovely and then that, another artist um, Anna uh, Kazakoff um, and one of the girls is uh, Twinkle Chawton uh, she's the editor of Margate Mercury oh,
3: I love she's... Twinkle
1: oh you know of course you know Twinkle so yeah Twinkle's part of it and uh, my old school friend uh, Sonia McDuff, and an artist called Sarah Trillo whose work I've been following since I saw it at um, Terra Nexus in London yeah do you know Kelly Sweeney's work?
2: I do. I know the name.
1: So she she works a very kind of witchy subject matter, and um, she's our post. She's the poster girl, actually. So she's got this amazing painting of this woman holding these two different color balls, and you're seeing the back of her, and it's like she's about to do this like massive power, like
2: it's
1: it's awesome. And so I'm really excited about that. Really excited. Yeah.
2: So we spoke earlier about the division in your work. So you've got the illustrative side which yeah I do. Would that be the bread and butter of your day-to-day
1: absolutely
2: the more material focused side um Could, yeah I've, i'd
1: say more conceptual yeah materialism yeah, yeah yeah
2: i've noticed that that has come into itself over the last couple of years while you've been doing yeah. your MA. you've always yeah. had bright intense colors in your work but only yeah. occasionally they'll only appear on one part of your work it won't be a colorful yeah. Painting yeah. or a, yeah. a, a drawing or what have you, yeah. but now colour seems to be the focus of that artwork, depending
1: yeah. on what it is. Well, Gary, I was like, we're talking about magic, and um, we're talking about how I love my material to sing, because I want to give it voice, because mm. when I was little I felt I didn't have a voice, you know, I was, I found it very difficult to express myself, um, certainly with strangers um and i wouldn't consider myself shy i was just shy around people i didn't know
3: yeah
1: and then i'd have moments of frustration where i couldn't communicate and so i would end up biting my hand so there were these primal acts that were coming out and and it was it was i was revisiting those acts in my work so there was the disenchantment going on but also the color brings enchantment it's it's the point where it it starts to sing for me yeah the, 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 the material has a voice. and I don't know why, it's just, I was chatting to another article, Eilert um, the other day on this um, uh, uh, sort of academic group I was part of called the um, Contemporary Art Academy, with Xavier Ellison, um, Sam Jackson, you know, his, his stuff. Yeah, and,
3: yeah.
1: And, and my old tutor, Matthew Gibson, who first taught me art and it's come full circle 20 years later, anyway, we were chatting and I was looking at Peter Violet's work and she painted these swans. And she said, oh, Kate, well, she said to the group, they're called mute swans, so they don't make a sound. And I said, well, it's really funny, I look, because I'm looking at them, and I keep hearing this, like, blub, 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 sound. And she went, that's really weird, Kate, because when they flap their wings, that's the only sound they make, and it's like that.
2: (laughs) Excellent. And
1: and so I think from having a singing upbringing... That's, it's, it's a visual for me.
2: Yeah.
1: Do you know, if that makes sense. I kind of no, just co- yeah, no, perfect. That's, that's dyslexia. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, on the course, I was, I love fluorescence, Gary. I love yeah. the fact that it's this sort of, it feels like such a mm-hmm. new alien colour. Yeah. And it reminds me of like being in Folkestone uh, because, you know, boys with like, boy racers would put the colour under their car and it's workmen, it's it and it's a it's a colour that we're meant to be drawn to because it's a warning Mm. or it's showing something off. I mean it could be a showgirl sign, couldn't it? So it's just this attention seeking colour. And I thought I'm gonna make a pastel because I love engaging with the the tradition of making because I feel like I'm speaking with the past when I do that. So and that kind of ties in with the wishbone, which I really would love if I can, if I can tell you about that piece in a minute. Yeah. And I made it into this pastel, this very feminine, soft, baby powdered smelling material that mm. I could use to draw with. And I, and it took quite a while. It t- sometimes takes a while for me to just sit with the material to understand it a bit more. So I've made this pastel um, in obje- in and an object in itself is just beautiful. And as I say, it smells of baby powder. And I just put it on this piece of paper and I, and I put this A4 sheet of paper in the studio on the MA at City and Guilds and I sat looking at it whilst I was doing other stuff and my eye just kept being drawn to it. Yeah. I just thought, why am I keep being drawn back to just this piece of colour on a bit of paper? So I got my rubber and I rubbed out a sec- section of it. And the paper just started to glow and yeah, hum yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my god that's what was behind it <laughs> that's what it was saying
3: come, yeah, come yeah. over
1: here look at me like unveil something like unveil what's behind yeah yeah so i made this piece that was based on moths uh, that's another story <laughs> it's about this psychological um heaviness burden and i relate that to moths as a beautiful section in Aaron Dottie Roy's God of Small Things where she talks about a dorsal thing a dorsal moth landing on the heart nice. and when they fall in love the moth alights and you're free again for a moment
3: yeah beautiful
1: and and so I did these silhouettes of these moths and I experimented to put them on this piece of paper I then covered the paper with this beautiful pastel I peeled the moths back and again I sat and my friend Archie came in from the course and he. went. Kate, I went, what? He said, it's buzzing, right? I was like, yeah, it's buzzing. He said, Kate, that paper is turning from white to violet as we're staring <laughs> at it. And I was like, oh my God. I, I felt like I cast a spell. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was magic. And, and then all of the sort of, all of the powder was just falling to the floor. Wow. And it left this incredible street, like line yeah. of neon. And it's as if the moths had like left their bodily.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: They didn't need it anymore. They crossed that portal and they were free. The body was no longer required. It was just a really beautiful moment. And And do you um, think you'll
2: use the pigment dust on the floor?
1: Yeah, I left it. It is a part of the artwork. It doesn't get taken away. And what I really enjoyed was actually people started to tread in it. And so there was this there was this act of something so beautiful and something so sacred and people were just treading on it and it then the 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 profane came in and it that area became disenchanted. Yeah. So like I'm I'm always playing with this enchantment and disenchantment and it's something I think I've always done and I didn't realize until I did the MA. How to put that into words, but also to bring it to my consciousness rather than it just being sat back in the shelf somewhere yeah. back there that I didn't completely understand. Yeah. But then you don't want to break the spell by understanding something too much either, do you? No, of
2: course. Like, then it becomes mundane, then, doesn't it?
1: Exactly. Well, you understand it. There's no yeah. need to make. We it make. I, I make, yeah. And I make because I want to understand something more. Like I want to know, or I want to put that feeling that I'm not quite sure what it is that feeling of displacement. I want to put it out there in the material world because. It's too it's too difficult to speak of, yeah. or I don't know how to.
2: With that yeah. in mind, tell us about the wishbones.
1: Yes. So, can I do the description by telling you the story?
2: By all means.
1: <laughs> so we're on the MA. Uh, we only we were we managed to attend the course pretty much throughout lockdown because yeah. it's such a small school, and it's beautiful because of that. I mean, you get such attention. And we had only three months where we couldn't attend. They were just like, "No, we, we literally can't open up the school now you've you've all got to go home for three months and actually, it was a little bit of a blessing because I need quiet time gary i can't I can't think when there's so much going on. I'm I with can't you.
3: Have,
1: yeah, I can't have interruptions every five minutes, and yeah. just look at this, look at that and I'm like, "Oh my God <laughs> So I went back into my studio, and for me, the wishbone is symbolic of of, of my dad, nice. so we used to do the tradition and it was always me and my dad, he'd save the wishbone from the chicken and we would break the wishbone together yeah, and make a yeah. wish. So I've tried to get that wishbone into my work a few times over the years and it yeah, just had it. never felt quite right. It just seemed like a illustration of that moment yeah. rather than a feeling. And I sat in the studio and I thought, I'm gonna cast this wishbone and I wanna cast it in wax. So I made this little cast and it was really crap and it was too delicate to even work because I tried yeah. to get it out of the cast and it just kept breaking and I thought oh god I'm an idiot I'm sitting here with a wishbone I'm just gonna dip this why am I not just yeah, dipping this course. wishbone?" so I, I did this fleshy wax and um I've used wax quite a lot in my work because it's so malleable it, it just yeah. It, yeah. It, it it forms really well so I started to dip this wishbone and In this process, I just thought, oh, this is this is odd because this is feeling like a ceremony now because it was my intent. It was like a a moment of communication. And um, I was listening to something. I won't mention another podcast, but they were talking about Nina Simone's Lilac Wine and how that song is about necromancy. It's bringing something back from the dead through a conduit. Yeah. In this case, being lilac wine. So she's getting drunk, right, on lilac wine. And she thinks she sees her lover. I was using that wishbone to try and communicate with my dad. And I didn't realise really how much I was until I chatted to my mum that night about what happened in the studio. Because it felt quite, I, I know this is going to be odd for a few people, but it felt very spiritual. Yeah. It, it felt kind of psychic. It was.
2: That's between it, you and the moment, isn't it?
1: It is, it is. And I think when work's really working, that happens. Something else takes over and you're no longer present in your body. You're just another material. So um, that night I was chatting to mum and she just went to me, why do you never make work about me? Why is it, it always your dad? I thought, yeah, why is that? And of course, you know, I get things quite quickly sometimes. but Sometimes it takes me a while to digest things. Yeah, yeah. And I woke up the next day and I just went, Mum, I know why, because you're not dead.
2: Yeah.
3: Exactly. If you are not... missing
2: her, you pick up the phone and yeah. go and see her.
1: Exactly. And yeah. so I'm car- when I'm making work about my dad, I'm having
2: a, a kind of... She loves a bit of, kind of attention, of doesn't she, your mum? I know,
1: it, she <laughs> Having, yeah. I'm having communication with my dad that's yeah. what I'm doing and there's a, can I tell you about this amazing cheese rolling have you seen right there's a Gary there's a Netflix docu- documentary called we are the champions have you seen it no,
2: no I'll write it down
1: I highly recommend this documentary they're bonkers but they're brilliant so the first there's only four of them the first one is about cheese rolling and so do you ever find that things start to you know synchronize yeah, 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 yeah. when we're so I've done all this and then I'm watching that documentary that night and I was just like, this is bloody brilliant. People <laughs> leaping off a hill and like injuring themselves, dislocating shoulders. And the guy said, the narrator says, traditions are a form of magic because traditions are a way of talking to the past, of speaking to our ancestors in a language that they created. Yeah. And when you participate in tradition, you are cast in a spell that lets you talk directly to a bygone era. Brilliant. And it just summed all of that up, yeah. And that's how the wishbone came about. And then I made this beautiful plinth for, for this wishbone and he's called Morpheus, Sleepwalker, nice. which is the god of sleep. Yeah, so he was the belly, he, I, I, when I did the installation for my MA called Promise Hour, he became the kind of umbilical cord of that show. And in front of that work was the moths, which I called mother in the shape of an egg that had just been cut off at the bottom to allow the powder to fall. Just to appease
2: your mum. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Nash. shut up. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: It was was so profound for me. And then there was the little reliquies of me biting into wet clay that I'd formed out of not talking sticks. I had another moment with that talking stick. I was doing these paintings of talking sticks again. It just felt like I was illustrating something rather than enacting and feeling. And um, I, was, I, I sat there with this stick that I'd made out of ceramic clay and it was still wet. And I thought, okay, what's the not talking stick to me? Because we, we know what a talking stick is. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a, tool, a tool of diplomacy. And I thought, so what do I feel when I can't talk? I feel frustration and I bite and so it was disgusting but i bit into this wet clay and it it just yeah it completely vocalized it it just expressed it 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 was such a cyclical experience Brilliant. and i just thought and there it is that's that's done i put that aside for the year and waited on it till the end of the show and then those pieces went into there as well and then the hands because these are our craft
2: it's amazing that something so mundane as just biting a bit of play can yes. answer all those questions or tie up yes. the loose ends
3: Brilliant. absolutely
1: and express it as well and it's so subtle but when people see it it's like this moment of joy and like is it isn't it you know it's like the little wishbone people were fascinated and there's all these big works everywhere and this tiny little wishbone yeah was just everybody has a story about a wishbone yeah and interestingly gary the history of the wishbone it, it, it should never have been snapped. It's an American thing. Oh yeah. They snap a wishbone. Historically, we would rub the wishbone. So there's this idea of allowing other people to have wishes that I love. You know, you're not snapping yeah. it and you're not break it. You know, there's a, there's a possibility, there's a, there's a tenderness to that of, there's a, and there's also not a taking that that's mine and I'm having that wish. Yeah. It's you're asking. You know, there's a, there's not that entitlement with that act of rubbing the wishbone, like the Aladdin's lamp, you know, it's
2: just- Now now you're speaking about your work, that division that that we mentioned earlier, it is as if the more conceptual side of your work is based in and around tradition. I can see it now as you're speaking. Do you know Ben Edge? This is very directly traditional, but you might find something amongst Ben Edge. He, He looks back at- Ah, nice. Pagan and village tradition. So I reckon um, you'll get something from there. Cool, it's very it you're very different from Benage, but you've got yeah. you know auras crossover yeah. if you like. You well, know. this
1: is this well, this is it, Gary. This is why I've brought together these this group of women because I know they all they all do this way of working. Yeah, you know they all have an interest in the idea of um, yeah, yeah. I was so when I was at secondary school, I was called a witch. They used to call all the boys and girls used to say I'm a witch, and I used to think why is that? it's because I had agency I didn't need anyone and that freaked them out I think you know and that that ostracized me from them and then at at, on my MA I was um, in my first tutorial with Andrew Grassi so him and that right I I have used gesso for a long time and I make traditional genuine gesso and I'm not blowing me on trumpet but I make it really well Gary like it's and I used to do egg tempera painting so Andrew Grassi does this photorealistic egg tempera painting. He's, he's a phenomenal painter and he's a really cool guy. And he said to me, "Kate, your, your, your work's quite witchy." <laughs> but he meant it in the nicest way. He meant it in the yeah. nicest way. And he had just met me, Gary. Within minutes he went, "There's witchy vibes off your work." Wow. And I thought, "Cool." <laughs> I was really like, "Yes." And I and I I just thought, "Yeah, own it. Own that. Embrace it." And craft, yeah. I like labor. I like hard work. Yeah. Well, and Gary, I mean that's the tradition of, of witchcraft. It's it's women who craft, who have empowerment, yeah. who who had their own agency, who were able to make their own money. And that's what made the church scared.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: There's a there's a wonderful book of fiction. I mean, there's loads of books that you can read on this, but there's a wonderful book of fiction by um um and it's called Circe, Madeline Miller. And it's it's mythological. It's the retelling of the of, of the goddess Cersei, which is a demigoddess. And it was about how everybody played down her power. So she didn't think she was powerful. So she, she was just like, I'm getting out of this town. Screw you, King Dad. <laughs> and she goes on this island on her own and discovers that actually she is the most powerful powerful and she does this through all the herbs and the mixing of potions and knowing the land. It's really it's an amazing book.
2: If there was you and five other artists, Kate, past and present, excluding your show coming up.
1: Yeah, I know, yeah I've already got them in. That's what Would right. your
2: ideal <laughs> group show be?
1: Um there is an artist from the like twentieth century called Gertrude Abercrombie. And I don't think she's that well heard of, but she was a Chicago. Chica- do you know her?
3: I think You're so. Nothing. I think she, so. did,
1: she was a Chicago based artist and she was part of the jazz scene, but she didn't hang out with other artists. She hung out with the likes of Dizzy Gillespie and all these jazz greats. I
2: know the I, name and oh, I know I the
1: love, story. Oh my God, I love her paintings. There's magic in them, there's symbolism, and there's very much the feminine divine. And she is, a it's surrealism, but she's amazing. And then I would like Fra Angelico, 15th century artist. You know Fra Angelico's work? The, I do. Um, so yeah Fra Angelico 15th century artist because they're the best tablet paintings they they make, they bring me to tears when I look at them I don't I can't explain why I'm not religious. I don't know why I cry when I look at these paintings but I do I think they're so sublime and they're so beautifully executed and they're so serene and peaceful and quiet that they just uh, they transport me. I had another artist
2: on here a few weeks ago who was mentioning exactly the same thing.
1: They are, they're just magnificent. Oh, the
2: misfortune teller, it was him.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, and then my tutor, but also um, he's like, he's the reason I went to 16 guilds because I, I've admired his work for so long and I didn't realize, uh, you know, why I was so drawn to his work. And we have quite a lot of connections. Well, not a lot of connections in life, but there's some similarities there and it's like being voiced through the work. And that's Robin Mason. And I would highly recommend having a chat with him, Gary. He's, he's an incredible artist, a beautiful human being. And uh, there was a, we had a school meeting one day. I've got to tell you this little anecdote. And one of the other um, artists on the course went, Robin, you're always so happy. It's just so lovely, you're always joyful. And in the background, his wife went, no, he's bloody not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know Robin, that feeling. Yeah.
1: Robin's amazing. And then Louise Bourgeois, of Perfect. course, because she's just like an idol. She's one of my idols. And then I think the painter Dorothea Tannin, but then I, maybe Taishani. I don't know. Best, but Dorothea Tannin was one of those first artists that I looked at when I started taking up art. And I just thought, I, I feel how she's painting. Like as a, as a younger woman, like yeah. when I was a teenager, I thought I can relate to the girls in her paintings. And it's just the whole fantasy of it as well. I just, yeah, I'm a bit of a sucker for surrealism. I love it.
2: Nothing wrong with that.
3: <laughs> but but, but with in that the best all. sense,
1: in the best sense, not the old Salvador Dali, but ugh, no, but you know. Yes, so they're my five artists.
2: That sounds perfect. <laughs> and Kate, if you wasn't an artist, what would you like to be?
1: Oh, um, I really love cooking. Nice. I love it. And I love watching chef programs. And, um, yeah, I think something to do with food, I think it would be something to do with food. Failing that, it would have to be uh, just making gesso for people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, not yeah, a bad I, thing, I, 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 I think chefing, I think there's some real similarities in chefing and art, uh, you know. It's, I know it's you're it's only so... joking
2: about making the gesso. But if you yeah. was if you was able to do it, I'm sure that artists that use it would, oh, no, want, I
1: know. Yeah. would want
2: a really good one and that, that's yeah, not it, a bad thing at all.
1: Yeah, it's hard work and, and I and people ask me how to make gesso and I go to them, oh, do you want to go and get a bit of pen and paper? And they went, Jesus, is it that hard? And I go, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I always make them ask me twice or three times before I start to tell them yeah. my not all my secrets, but some of them. <laughs> yeah,
2: most of them. And Kate, what have you got coming up?
1: So I've, I'm working towards the group show now. So uh, on Gossip and, when? and I that's uh It starts on the 29th of September.
2: Oh, good. It should be out roundabout then, actually.
1: Yeah, oh, that's amazing. And so 29th of September, and it's only like a four-day exhibition, and it's at Touchbase Gallery in Folkestone. Nice. Uh, I know people think it's a long way to come, but it's actually, it's a 54-minute train trip from King's Cross to Folkestone yeah. so it's it's really yeah it's not and then it it's running till the 2nd of October Brilliant. and um and then we'll go from there we'll Just you know see we'll if, see, what, uh, see what else comes
2: <laughs> and where can anyone find what you're doing be it website or social media
1: okay so uh for my fine art website it's do you want me to actually say the website I guess I do <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> How else are they going to answer the question?
1: So it's www.katenightartist.com. Yeah. And then if you're more interested in my illustrative work, uh, it's www.katenightillustration.com. Oh, yeah. uh, Instagram is Night Painter, and it is a play on Night Rider.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then on Vero, it's Kate Knight Artist. Uh, yeah, that's it. Excellent. <laughs>
2: Well, Kate, that's all my questions asked.
1: Amazing, Gary. And this has been Thank in the you. pipeline
2: for so long.
1: It has, it has.
2: <laughs> and I'm glad Thanks. we finally got to do it. Brilliant. All right,
1: Gorge. See you, later, Thank you. Bye-bye.
2: Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. So we wasn't dictated to by advertisers, we decided from the offset to go ad-free, which means, obviously, we had to self-fund. So we set up the Ministry of Arts Patreon page. And without that support, we would not be able to produce this podcast. So if you like what you hear and you're able to support the podcast, just go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile. You'll find a link tree drop down box, which will direct you straight to our Patreon page. And for the price of a cup of coffee, you can help keep us growing week by week. But if you're not able to do that, that's fine because this content is free for everyone. But leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to your podcast that really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast or even giving us a positive shout-out on your social media. Everything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening and until next week, Zadar.